Hello and welcome to Caged In, the podcast where week by week we go film by film through the career of Nicolas Cage to find out if he is the world's greatest detective, figuring out just exactly what crimes are in a script and figures out a way to make them right and give us the greatest films we've ever seen, or if he's a low-down, dirty crook committing crimes against cinema. And this week under the microscope, it is Ken Sanzel's 2019 noir-inspired crime drama, Kill Chain. And to join me to figure out if this film is up there with the pantheon of Cage classics or needs to be thrown in the bin, like many a Cage direct-to-video release, is Devon Taylor from the fantastic Bloody Blunt's Cinema Club. But we'll get into that in a moment in the main bulk of the episode. As always, I asked Devon, is he a Nick Cage fan? What was his first and which is his favourite Nicolas Cage film? If you would like a little bit extra from myself and Devon, head on over to Patreon where you can get me asking Devon free extra bonus questions, which are, which is his least favourite Nicolas Cage film? Which is his favourite all-time Nicolas Cage performance? And which living or dead director would he love to see Nicolas Cage work with? So you can do that as easy as heading over to patreon.com forward slash caged in pod. When it comes to Kill Chain and this episode, like every episode, we go into massive spoilers. We spoil it fucking rotten. So if you'd like to watch this film, and this is one personally I would recommend you watch, there's a handy document in the show notes that will tell you if and where this film is streaming. And at current moment of recording the 13th of January 2021. This film is streaming both in the UK and the US on Amazon Prime. So you have no excuse as to not watch it. So if you're back with us, you've either watched the film, you are ready and raring to either agree or disagree with myself and Devon. So there's one thing left to do, guys, and that's to get raging with Cage. This episode, we look at a man who's decided he just wants to settle down and retire, become a hotelier. Nicolas Cage is done with the rat race and now wants to run the quaint Franco's, Colombia's hottest boutique hotel. But it's not all plain sailing. Just like last week's film, Kill Chain is a post-Tarantino crime drama hell-bent on chatting about the action rather than showing us any. To talk about Ken Sanzel's movie is photographer, filmmaker, Nightmare on Film Street writer and host of the great Bloody Blunt Cinema Club podcast, Devon Taylor. How are you, Devon? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for having me on. That was a fantastic intro. I applaud you on that. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I'm a, uh, I'm a podcaster, writer. I do, I do a little bit of everything. I do uh, some video production, the music world as well, and 
Um, horror is my main jam. That's what we cover on the Blay Blunt Cinema Club. It's uh, focused on subgenres of horror and kind of digging deeper into that. Um, so I'm very excited to, you know, kind of get a break from talking horror movies. And this is still a genre, obviously, but um, <laughs> another film subject I'm very passionate about, Mr. Nicolas Cage. Perfect. Well, you've come to the right place to talk all things Nicolas Cage. And on your podcast, you uh, touched on the, I think, massively underrated and uh, overlooked a lot of the time, Vampire's Kiss. And you teamed it up with like American Psycho, which is the perfect pairing. And I I've, I think, and to quote uh, previous guest Brad Hansen, uh, it took for Peter Lowe to crawl for Patrick Bateman to walk and that like that's how I feel about that film and I'd like to thank you for covering those films together like they should be it it really did like uh American Psycho is like my favorite movie ever like uh, tied with the Neon Demon actually but uh American Psycho I've loved it forever I was late to the Vampire's Kiss game because I kind of shrugged it off as like the way that people you know put it out there that it was like you know like it was like the silly b-movie kind of stuff and i was just like yeah you know i'll get to it eventually i think there's more other interesting nick cage endeavors to get to but then i said you know what i'm gonna throw it on so i watched it earlier this year and i was just like oh my god no this is actually really good and then i was like and it is also the same movie as american psycho <laughs> like they are it's, basically the same <laughs> it's just much like maligned and like it's meme fodder now i think that's the that's the disservice the internet yeah. has done to that film is it's like it's reactionary gifts or it's that sizzle reel of nicholas cage losing his shit that people go like uh, I'm just going to palm that one off as like one I'm not going to give any attention to. But I know like from a, I think it's like a GQ interview, he notes it as like one of his like favorite performances he's ever done. And you can kind of kind of see why it's it's out there. It's wild. Yeah, it's um, it's the movie whenever I uh, read some interviews, I think it was, uh, yeah, the GQ, like him breaking it down. And he and he like says it's like that's when he like kind of pioneered his classic operatic acting style that he adopts and like has made obviously you know his own thing over his own career but that's like the movie where it started like where he really honed in on it and somebody had a movie and a script that was a story that was perfect for it and i think you know we'll get a little bit more into that a little bit later but you know when you when you utilize nick cage perfectly like, you know, you're going to get something special. And, like, Vampire's Kiss was, like, the first instance of that. I think it was that kind of one-two punch of that and uh, Raising Arizona that kind of showed us, like, this, this like, manic craziness. Like, that. I don't know, you could always kind of see a glint in his eye in his earlier <laughs> stuff, but it was those two he kind of really got to cut loose and cage out, for want of a better word. Um, so it, it, this probably feels like a futile question, you're you're a Nick Cage fan, right? Yes. I mean, I am <laughs> I'm immensely a Nick Cage fan. I literally had to defend him like a few nights ago from my best friend's girlfriend who despises him and I was just like for an hour I was just like you just don't get it, okay? And I I love him so much. <laughs> so, so at the time of recording, it's quite interesting because it's what December 12th? No, De December 9th. Whenever it's 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 the day that it's just been announced that Nick Cage is 
hosting a Netflix series. Yes. All about the uh, etymology of swear words. And it's like, we're really, we're really on like, I think the cusp of a new era of Cage, this kind of self-aware, um, almost like he's taken a, a leaf from the, the Jeff Goldblum like handbook of just being like ultra super aware, doing these like playing to the to the kind of strengths and the I don't know supposed weaknesses that people see upon him and really going for it. Oh yeah, like that trailer just made my day. It is absolutely perfect. <laughs> I can't wait for that show. And yeah, like I mean, I would honestly say like that era did like kind of start like a couple of years ago. You know, whenever mm-hmm. we start seeing him pop up in these art house films, and then like and then you know, like I said, like when you have these directors that are playing to his strengths, like Mandy and uh, Mom and Dad, and you know, he like he started putting a little string together, and yeah, so then now he has that um, the the whole self aware movie coming out. Um, what is it the the unbearable weight of being famous or something like that? What is it? Massive talent. It's even massive. It's talent. Even more <laughs> arrogant. Yeah, it's like that. That's what makes it so good. So so yeah, like we're we're in the thick of a Nikonaissance, if you will. Um, and I'm I'm here for it. I'm I've, I mean I'm I've always been here for Nick Cage, even when he wasn't in the spotlight. He was still doing stuff, and I was still watching. You know, so like. Uh, but I'm excited that everyone else is like, you know, now that they know that he's in on the joke, now it's like, okay, now we're all in it together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. so it's yeah. perfect. Yeah, it's that thing. I keep I keep wanting to look for a better way analogy for this, but like Nick Cage, even across this last 10 years, when he like, especially when he was the straight to DVD and VOD fodder, a lot of his career has become, he, he's almost like that, um, that like partner who like is slightly abusive because he's putting you through all this shit but then occasionally he'll bring you like some flowers he'll bring you like a mum and dad and you'll be like oh you know what it, it, it kind of makes up it kind of makes up for being shitty all that time <laughs> yeah like that's what makes like the nick cage movie box like fun because you don't know what you're gonna get you're either a you're gonna get a shitty movie that he slightly elevates with his presence or you're going to get, B, a legitimately uh, good movie, you know, that he mm-hmm. happens to be in. And I would say that today's movie would fall into that category. I don't know where you fell with it. But um, so, you know, you don't know what you're going to get. So it's like I watched Kill Chain last night with a buddy. And it was just like I told him, I was like, I haven't seen the trailer. I didn't look anything up. Like, cause like I like to go in as blind as possible. I was like, and it's mm-hmm. Nick Cage. So who knows what we're going to get with this movie tonight. And, uh, we were pleasantly surprised. Perfect. So yeah, obviously we've established that you're a Nick Cage fan, but what was the first Nick Cage movie you remember seeing? It's, it's really tough because I mean, I can remember like watching scenes, not like all of face off and con air when I was super young. Like, I always remembered the prison scene and face-off, but I just couldn't remember what the whole movie was. So it's like I never, I don't consider myself, like, watching it, like, you know, an actual mm-hmm. watch up until, you know, maybe five years ago. And then, um, but then, like, Con Air was, like, one that I would, like, it would pop up on TNT all the time, you know? So it's like I would catch some of it, but maybe not all of it. So 
uh, I think the like, you know, I really was like kind of paying attention to actors in movies was Ghost Rider. Like I'm, I'm on the young side. So, you know, Ghost Rider, I was only 10 or 11 when that came mm-hmm. out. And then I was like, who is like, I was like, I've seen him like in things, but I was like, whoa, he's like, <laughs> he's going fucking crazy. What's going on? And then like, I would, I went to the VHS set. My parents had this giant VHS collection with like a bunch of shelves and I remember going through the VHSs and I would look for his name. And then um, I think that's whenever I found Con Air and then was able to watch it um, start to finish. And then and then I would just try to find more uh, Nick Cage movies. And then but then as I uh, got older and started appreciating, you know, film a lot more and like kind of paying attention to acting and stuff and just because just watching him like the pe- people don't get like he loves acting it's not like he mm-hmm. just like does craziness just for the hell of it like he everything he does is with a purpose and like that like fascinates me is like like you know like as an actor that i would like to like those type of actors that i want to work with whenever i make films like that mm-hmm. are very in, intentional in what they're doing in this like kind of this focused chaos you know, and like yeah. Nick Cage, he, you know, he doesn't bring it to like, you know, and like I said, I don't always think it's like his fault. It's just, I think certain directors utilize his, you know, abilities better than others. Yeah. Well, there's that interesting thing. Cause there's, we're, we're, in, we're of a generation now of filmmakers like a Panos Cosmotos and I think, yeah, like a, a few others, even, even a Brian Taylor with mom and dad, that mm-hmm. they, you imagine they were Nick Cage fans growing up, so they get to like, they get to work with him. And I think of other other directors are some of the directors of the, like the the lesser successful ones and the ones that don't quite work are fans. And I think like sometimes that might be a thing of like on set where they're like, oh shit, I don't know what to do with this. Like it's almost like they're fanboying out too much, and they're like. Uh, uh, well, I've got Nick Cage in my movie, and I, I, I I'm not really directing him. So, like, yeah. now, 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 the film is just kind of like gone a bit awry and gone a bit loose, and it's, um, yeah, I don't know. Whereas, I, I yeah, could totally like, see, I could totally see that being the case sometimes. Like, you know, just like the, you know, the being starstruck of his presence. But that's like also a thing that I really like about Nick Cage is like I noticed that he does a lot of movies with like, you know, filmmakers that don't have much credits. He will mm-hmm. be in a directorial debut for like an unknown director, which I think is really cool. Like he will sign on to something that he, you know, obviously believes in and he believes in that filmmaker. And I think that's like really cool. And then, you know, it will come with mixed results, of course, but you know, as an aspiring filmmaker myself, like that just, you know, inspires me to be like, you know, I'm sure there, you know, might be an actor that, you know, I can, that might be willing to take a chance on me in my first movie, you know, something like that, you know, maybe not yep. Nick Cage, but I mean, that'd be cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think an actor who is like really cool for just like being in anything and doesn't really say no is Danny Trejo. Like he's, he's famously known for like, you got a student movie and you want machete like he will he will turn up and be like yeah come on yeah let's do it like uh, like yeah 500 bucks for the film like i'm in it and it's like it like cage has that kind of i'm not i'm not sure what his fears but like yeah like like you said he's got this 
he's got this voraciousness to want to work and he's got this um mm -hmm. thing of taking chances uh, like from reading so much about him there's only like one film in the last like five years that he's actually turned his back on that was 211 he like said the way that film came mm. out at the end is like and uh, not like that's not that's that's not the film i signed on for but i guess like an audience member for him as well every every set he's going on to he's rolling the dice as well right and it's like either he's going to cash out at the end of the night big or he's going to kind of go home empty-handed and it's like well regardless <laughs> he's going home with cash because that's oh, the yeah. <laughs> that's the thing with nick cage he one he loves acting and two he loves money because he loves spending it so that's he why he does so much movies <laughs> he loves stuff he, lo he yeah, loves I, stuff I, 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 <laughs> amazing so um what is your favorite nick cage movie so, I mean, I take that as, because we have a separate question for best performance. So this is favorite movie with Nick Cage. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, uh, I don't want to pick the same movie for, this, for the same two questions. So I want to try and switch <laughs> it up. Um, uh, you know, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to go with Mandy. Um, Mandy is, you know, a more recent one with Panos and... And I mean, it's a movie that it's already just this visceral experience, you know, like this was uh, Cosmatos' second film. So, you know, he, he and like his first film, Beyond Black Rainbow, is fucking insane and like, you know, crazy. So it's like, okay, we already knew what we were going to get with him. And then it's like, okay, then he adds Nick Cage into it and again, he just, he really pulled out Nick Cage's full range in the film. Like, you know, the first half dedicated to him being the stoic Nick Cage and he's charming with his uh, partner. And, uh, and then we get the emotional Nick Cage whenever Mandy dies. And then, and then we get, you know, balls to the wall. You know, we just <laughs> see him go up levels, levels upon levels of, you know, cageness. And I mean, he literally just like, put Nick Cage on full display, but then even aside from Nick Cage, just the movie itself is phenomenal. Like the score mm -hmm. by Johan Johansson is amazing. Um, all the other performances, like the supporting performances matched up to it. And I love the fact that um, he wanted to play Jeremiah Sands initially. No, uh, or no, oh no, was... Panos wanted him to Panos play Jeremiah. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then Nick said, no, I want to play red. And I thought that was very interesting. And, um, you know, and because then it was like, okay, he's actually being challenged now or, or he, or he's giving himself more of a challenge actually, you know? So, um, Mandy is just, it's a phenomenal film. I can put it on any time of the day. Doesn't matter when, like, and it is just, uh, it's so good. So my favorite movie would be Mandy, but face off is close. Yeah. <laughs> i totally understand what you mean about that movie and i think i don't think i well i know it's not for everyone and like i enjoyed it on a first watch but then like on the second on the like and i think but it slightly did disappoint me because i think i wanted it to be more balls to the wall action but then on a second watch when i watched it um i just let the film like wash over me and in the way that i think it's uh intended to and I, like I'd, I'd read up a lot about 
Panos Cosmotis' thing that he wanted it to be an outpouring of grief, whereas like Beyond the Black Rainbow is like suppressing grief. Mm-hmm. He wanted Mandy to be like a, a companion piece that was like the eruption of the anger and like malice you feel when losing something. I mean, it's like flooded with like the reds and the pinks, like to do that, yeah. you know, literally. And uh, when I, when you say you got to let it wash over you, like the very first time I saw it, whenever I got to see it in theaters, um, there's a, a famous theater out here in Los Angeles called the Vista. And it's like this gorgeous, you know, one screen theater mm-hmm. and it's super nice. And then I ate a ton of edibles before going into this movie <laughs> a ton of edibles i mean like literally the first 10 minutes i mean i was like slumped and drooling i had a smile on my face and drooling <laughs> and i was just like oh yeah this is this is for me like this is this is my shit yeah and i think it's the thing like when i kind of like took i don't know i, I brought myself to the film because i let it like wash over me but then it's that thing of like for me, I looked at the like grief plot line as a thing of like just looking at loss. So even if it's like the loss of like a, a a big relationship, which like you do go through that like weird grieving process after like a long term relationship mm-hmm. or something like that. And it's like I, I like when when that when those kind of like themes started to hit me, I was like, oh, this film has like got a a visceral gut punching feeling, and it's like. All like the thing that like Panos Cosmos does really well, especially with Nick Cage, is whereas like a lot of filmmakers get like the cage rage just for the sake of it, every piece of like cage rage in Mandy is very much earned. Yes. Uh very much so. I did I sorry, I didn't know if you glitched there for a sec. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, um very much so and Again, it's like when you, you know, people forget that, you know, Nick Cage has this like, you know, raw emotion, you know, that he's pulling from and people always see it in the anger side, but then seeing it in a sad grief, you know, explosion is just like, I mean, that bathroom scene is like, yeah, it's him going, you know, doing his thing and going crazy. But at the same time, it's like that is like a, such a realistic portrayal though of like, you know, somebody really trying to process grief like that, you know, is a little bit more realistic than when you see someone in a m- movie, just like, you know, they're like, kind of just like sobbing like to themselves and stuff. It's like, you know, if somebody had just a house to themselves and they just had that happen, like, yeah, they're going to go crazy like that. And then it's like, that's what, you know, Nick Cage's extra flavor brings to the movie there. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, really interesting because there's like a there's a mess up like the camera hits a towel that like Kate Kate yeah. like the the, the yeah like the, the cage had knocked over and Panos Cosmos said it was the best take so we left we left that in mm-hmm. because like that was we I, I he knew that they weren't gonna get like a better take from him and he's like it adds to the kind of like the drama of that situation and it's like uh, yeah it's messy so if the if the camera all of a sudden on the dolly or like the the yeah like just jolts slightly it it adds to the it adds to that scene and that that scene i think is is a fantastic kind of uh display of what nick cage can do yes i mean it is 
Oh, it's just so good. I love it so much. So it's probably time we best talk about uh, Kill Chain. You have the eyes in the hands of a violent man. I know, because I know violent men. Does a violent man really think he's going to find peace? If you need anything... You here all night? Uh, I was going to say dial zero zero. Yes, I am. I thought you were the clerk. Clerk, bartender, security guard, owner. How long you had this place? About a year. A friend of mine left it to me. Well, we're here. You don't have any friends. Not anymore. I'm getting out of a difficult situation. Because you're using someone else's money. I don't see it that way. But someone does. Do you know who I am? You are a type. Are you a type, too? Yeah. The kind that doesn't want to get shot. <laughs> I've got a bad feeling about this get out. I leave without knowing what's going on, then I don't know what's going on. He doesn't trust you. <laughs> I can trust you, but you can't trust me. Right. You want to die. I kind of don't like you. You set this in motion. You want me to say I'm sorry? I'm not the guy you think I am. You don't want to be, but you are. I assumed you had a gun in your purse. I did. I just got to the knife first. You said earlier this was your first time watching the movie, right? Yes, it was. Uh, I went in, like I said, completely blind. I All I knew was Nick Cage, Assassin's Hotel. That's all I knew. And so I was um, excited to go into it. It was a more recent one. So I was like, okay, I hadn't really heard anybody talk about this one, and um, which shocks me. <laughs> So this is a really interesting one because it's directed by Ken Sanzel, who has kind of made his name a lot part from from TV. So he did like was a produ exec producer on Numbers and Blue Bloods, and doing a bit of like reading into Ken Sanzel, he used to be a um, used to be a policeman. Oh, I didn't know and, he like, was a policeman. Mm, interesting. So, yeah, he's kind of got this world, and I think he started off doing. Um, like in film and tv being like a consultant on on stuff regarding like cop stuff like are they doing it right and he's like kind of got this like interesting backstory and then like mo like moved like moved into stuff and i think even as a policeman he was kind of like at a point where he was like doing a lot of like infer like internal like he kind of policed the police and stuff like that so mm. um Huh. And like, look, like look, looking on his Twitter, he seems like a pretty like politically woke guy, and like I think he's very like uh, anti-police. Do you know what I mean? Like now, he's very much like uh, like everything that's I mean, happened he definitely, in twenty twenty. Yeah, he definitely uh, had a lot to say in this movie, which is yeah, kind of crazy that you know it came out before twenty twenty was happening. So uh, yeah, he definitely had a lot to say, and you can you can tell and. Um, because this was only his, but this was only like like his second or third film, right? From what I saw on his IMDb, besides like uh, his TV stuff, right? Yeah. So as a as a feature director, this is his um, 
Yeah, well, I think like fourth. I don't, it, it all, yeah, I think it's his fourth fourth movie, but like it's a lot of shorts and TV movies in there. But um, oh, okay. So what what is what was your first like reaction to this movie? Did did you enjoy it? I very much enjoyed this movie. I had yeah. an absolute blast. Um, I didn't know, like I said, like the kind of style even or tone that I was going for. So. Um, but then definitely got the noir vibes off the bat from the opening. So I was like, okay, we're getting a neo-noir movie. And then like once it's started happening, you know, cause like it's a weird editing cut from the, the intro with Nick Cage. And then we get like a cut to the title sequence and then it's like another weird cut. So I was like, okay, what's going on? And then once I kind of grasped what was going on, like I like pseudo anthology movies, like, I mean, this mm-hmm. is a, you know, this is still a linear movie. It's just a, a, a circle, uh, rather a chain, if you will. And um, I very much enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed the style to it. Um, and what was cool was, you know, it very much was committed to the neo-noirisms, you know, from the ever-present score to just the way that they talked and delivered dialogue that nobody says out loud in the way that mm-hmm. they do, you know, like they, but they very much committed to it, which I always respect. But then it's also just like, I, so like whenever we like cut away from Nick, I was like, Oh no, is this going to be like a movie where it's just like, he's just at the beginning and end and they didn't really mm-hmm. get yeah. him for all that much time, but he comes back in, you know, halfway through the movie and then, you know, finishes out pretty strong. So I was like, okay, this is really cool. And it's like, we're getting the good, we get the good Nick Cage stuff in the back end. But it's like the first half when we aren't spending any time with him and we're seeing the chain of events kind of get set off, I was still thoroughly entertained. Like all the other actors were fantastic as well and like had some uh, unique action scenes in there. Like um, I was very much here for this movie. Yeah, so probably to go a bit deeper into that kind of the the way this is set up and it kind of, yeah, so we start off with this like cage like the sequence of cage and you kind of are left a bit like well what the hell's going on there's a guy slumped over a table like presumed dead we kind of see this like this figure like on the upstairs balcony and we're like well who the hell's that we got these two guys like one rocking a disgusting mullet like questioning cage and he's kind of like seems expectant of them turning up and then we get like what I can only describe as like it's it's a very like televisual title sequence, but really just like grabs you, right? Yeah, they kind of, you know, they do the thing where they're just showing stills and shots that you're going to see throughout the movie, you know, so that way when you're watching, you can point at it. And um, but it's like kind of cool, though, because then it's like, OK, there's going to be we see we're going to have a few different players here, um, mm-hmm. you know, different characters are going to be coming in and out. And then it's like, OK, so, yeah, the tile sequence, like I said, it was just like kind of it was edited in weird. But uh, the tile sequence did grab <laughs> me, though, because I was like, OK, I'm intrigued to, like, meet all these other characters. Well, And, and I think for the budget of this as well. So this was a three point five million dollar budget, Ooh, which like nice. for. Look, which is like in, in in this day and age, is not a lot, really, right? That's like, yeah, that, no, that, that's that, uh, that's, that's not Blumhouse too much at all. money. That, yeah, that's that's not even Blumhouse money. Like they're normally like fours. They're kind of like their their number, really, a lot of the time. And it's like mm-hmm. for what for, for what for what this budget was and what you get, it's like 
it's really really fun and like inventive and like what one of the moments that really like stood out to me and it's it seems very like I don't, d a dumb thing to say but like there is a shootout like in a car and like just like ah. pe like and i was like i don't think i've ever seen that like that's exactly in this what I way said. like that's exactly what I said. I was like, I don't think I've ever seen a scene like this. I was like, a cop car shootout. They have a dead corpse flopping around in the background. You know, was so fun. And even the lead up to that scene was really cool. Like the the whole bit these dirty cops have an assassin in the back of the car, and like you know the assassins getting in their head. These partners, and then mm -hmm. they decide to turn on each other. So it was like, okay, I like the setup, but then like the action scene itself was also like really fun. Like they puts his feet down and he shoots the feet out. And I was like, ha ha, got his ass. But then it was <laughs> the corpse. I was like, ah, they got me. <laughs> well, it's that, that, that whole thing, the way, yeah, because the, the way it plays out. So obviously after the title sequence, we're just introduced to a totally new character who even yeah. in the credits, like nobody's really like, unless their name is said, you don't really like, you don't know who anyone is. And in the credits, this guy is just known as the old sniper. And we kind of like get him. He's scoping out a place. You don't. You're kind of like you don't really know what's going on. And it's like you're learning as he's learning, kind of what's going on. There's a suspicious car. There's somebody on a on a rooftop, and he he has this plan to get a sex worker to come up to his to his room, and then like scope out the place for him so he doesn't get shot. And then, well, yeah, he he like sends her up to the adjacent roof yeah. and says like it's like a little chess a match yeah 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 and like it's it's these nice little like and everything's like nice and contained and uh, that's what i mean like for the budget mm -hmm. you get these like really really inventive things because it's like i don't for one it's shot in uh columbia uh, as well ah, like, that's not where sure it was they, shot. you get bigger tax breaks over there or I thought it would be Puerto Rico because I know they I know Puerto Rico has the tax break. So that's where I thought it was shot. I couldn't really tell, though, for sure. But ah, that makes sense now. But yeah, I love me a good uh, contained contained thriller. Well, the, the, the only reason I could think it was potentially like shot there is Cage filmed Running with the Devil. Also parts of that in Colombia. And I'm thinking like to match up his schedule, they were like, right, like that there's like it's probably going to be quite cheap out in colombia to film anyway there might be jimmy mm -hmm. like the cost of labor and stuff like that and they're probably like well cage is there if we can like fit this like, i'd imagine it like the shooting schedule of something like this like maybe three weeks tops like you could you could you could piece a film like this together right yeah like they they definitely like you know knew what they were doing with like the 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 small budget but then that's always you know we know in the industry that's usually better that if you do have the smaller budget you know the director tends to be able to do a little bit have a little more freedom with what they're doing you know um you know as far as like the creativity aspect so um you know i love that what they were able to do on this budget and also still very much like get the style and like tone down that uh that the director wanted one of the things that this film does really well is it gives you a lot of like character stuff and like sometimes without actually like i don't know being too heavy on exposition stuff like that it's like the phone calls that the 
assassin has at the beginning over the phone to his daughter to his like handler when he's just talking about like a rice cooker and stuff like that we kind of we mm. get this thing that he's a guy who like has regrets and like b- desperately wants to get out of that life because he wants he wants something as mundane as a rice cooker and he has these like we we get these mm. glimpses that he hasn't seen his daughter in five years and stuff like that and it you get this feeling and like yeah when he like calls her back it's like he knows that his his number's up basically he knows that sanchez on the other roof is probably gonna get the 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 best of him yeah like i really do like how each each vignette i'll say you know because they're not scenes but like each set of scenes that we get for you know the different links of the chain um Mm -hmm. i do like that it does kind of, you know, we get the character stuff, then action, and then a little more character stuff, and then action, and yeah, you can kind of start predicting the, you know, the um, the formula as the movie goes on, um, but then it does, like, you know, switch it up, though, as the movie goes, and that, like, you know, slows down even more with, like, an extended story sequence, so it's like, I like that they very much did a nice balance of, like, you know, getting these character stuff in, but then also just, like, these, like, you know, interesting, you know, tense scenes just because, like, you only know so much information, they only know so much information. And, um, yeah, those those beats really uh, do work out super well. Well, it, it, like, plays onto the characters. So, like, yeah, the, the film moves in the way that, like, it moves from character to character in a way that the, the, the demon from the Denzel Washington movie Fallen moves from, Vic, like, uh, victim to victim it, it works in that so like we get this thing of the old sniper and then it moves over to sanchez right and then we kind of get his story and then it then he gets in the car with the cops and then it's like oh it's their movie and then it's like it, it, it mm. kind of has this disorientating but fun thing of like oh well i don't know i don't know where this hot potatoes like who it's going to be thrown to next yeah and it's like anyone who's on screen you're like Oh, we're, we're, now we're with this person, and then it's like I, I don't know. It, it second guesses you at every turn because it's like just as and you you're with them enough amount of time mm-hmm. that you're like okay, like it, uh, yeah, I, I think I'm getting used to these characters. And it's like nope, nope. See you later. They're gone. Well, I noticed that the I noticed that the movie stresses pairs a lot throughout the film. You know, pairs and partners. They they talk a lot about that. Like everything is in twos in the movie. So it's like, yeah, you get two characters, and then it's like one goes, and then it's like, okay, now the next one goes on. So it's like almost kind of goes like a video game. It's like, okay, now you 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 made it. You know, not and not only the characters aren't always going against each other. Sometimes they're together. Like once you see the dirty cop leave and meet up with the the femme fatale they're lovers so then it's like okay they're not at odds against each other but one of them's still gonna die anyways you know and then ends mm-hmm. up being the jury cop and then she moves on you know so it's like they just like keep going throughout the rings and then i was like ah the kill chain i see it now and then um mm-hmm. an interesting detail that i saw was that they also pass along a gun as it keeps going on the the gun starts with sanchez that silver gun and then it kind of gets passed along throughout the situations as well, ending up, you know, at the end being, you know, the literal Chekhov's gun whenever, you know, uh, <laughs> the femme fatale gets saved by the assassin 
shooting himself or not shooting yeah. himself, but it going off in his face. So it's like that gun that, is that, also a literal kill chain. Bedunce. That, that and, and there's this whole thing of like um you said about like the pairs thing. It's yeah, you get it from like that thing is like you get the two assassins almost like against each like you get those two against each other and like you get those and, and, and I think it plays into this whole thing that like Cage's story like line in this is a thing of like him and his old partner Franco mm-hmm. the guy who like used to own own the hotel that he now runs um what did you make of a cage in this movie like what did you what did you think like when when because like at, at near the tail end of this it almost becomes like a bit of a chamber piece between him and the the femme fatale and then those two assassins just kind of him telling these this great great story yeah like so cage in this he definitely had a like subverted my expectations of like what i thought like you know the the cover of the movie has him like holding the shotgun with his sunglasses on so you think he's gonna be the main badass for the movie and he is a badass or a former badass at least and i like that we get for a majority of the film we have charming stoic nick cage in this we have nicholas in this movie and you know i'm glad that you know this director you know felt you know strong enough with you know the performances and like action beats that he was getting out of all these other actors that were you know chewing scenery just as much as nick cage likes to do that he felt strongly enough about that to where he's like okay i can utilize nick in a different way because like people forget he has a very likable charm to him like he has like this kind of laid back every man you know even though he is kind of larger than life but he can also make himself feel like a relatable every man as well so it's like I'm I was like okay we're getting like a, a different side of him and then I was waiting so I was like so is he going to is he going to freak <laughs> out like you know the the one of the questions you asked I'm like is he going to freak out and I mean I don't know if you want to get to that yet but uh, um like you know it just like kind of had me waiting and then I just wasn't sure where <laughs> he was going to go with it but I I loved his performance in this Yeah and like the way he's like introduced so we get him introduced like up front and then like it is that thing you do get that fear that it's like it's going to be like out- outcast where it's like oh what yeah. cage just bookends this movie like oh what yeah that's what i thought and then I, so i was very happy when he came back in at like the midpoint and then we stick with him for you know the rest of the movie i was like okay thank goodness he's <laughs> he's in it more we do get more cage in here because like even from that opening scene alone like you you instantly are like hey i like this character already you know so i was very glad the way he was able to weave back in and like you see that, you know, he's surrounded in this world of violence and like all these other assassins. And he was that person, but you can tell he's changed and he is like trying, he is like the one of them that is like, no, I actually am trying to literally put all this behind me, but he just kind of knows that's the world he lives in and like the way the things come to, but like the storytelling scene is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Like that's something we don't get from cage often anymore, you know, just like using him, in the way that he delivers lines, which, oh my gosh, the line deliveries by Nick Cage in this movie. Whenever, um, side tangent, when the other uh, the other femme fatale like chick comes looking for the other mm-hmm. gal, and then she goes, you know me? And he goes, not specifically, but you're 
a type. <laughs> I mean, me and my friend died. <laughs> like, that was so good. <laughs> well, he has these um, fantastic little cages and, and, like, great little lines to deliver. And he's like, um, it's just after he delivers the line, I, I, won, this, I won this hotel in a poker game. Uh, yeah, um, it was a long game, but it turns out it's not worth that much. And then he takes a he takes a shot, and then just goes like, ah! like with two like gun fingers, yeah. and it's like, oh yeah, that's like you can tell that was like a say at least like Ken, Ken, let me have let 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 me have this 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 shot, like let me have this take. I, I, I'll give I'll give you a little bit of cage, and it's like perfect. I mean, dare I say we dare I say we get nuanced cageisms <laughs> in this movie. Like this is a very nuanced cage performance cuz yeah, it's all about the little things. Like cuz then he also follows up with a shot they like show the close up and he, like takes a shot and he just like has a contemplative look on his face and smiles and then the camera cuts away. <laughs> because yeah, like so the femme fatale, uh, the the woman in red as the the, the credits call her. Oh yes. Is looking for um uh, uh yeah is is looking for someone and he's known as the the spider and you you don't know who that character is right and then like cage has that like there's that brilliant like interplay between them when like um like they're kind of like delivering lines about like the spy like spiders and snakes and he's like well you, mm-hmm. you look like a woman who's like dealt with a lot of spiders and snakes in her time and stuff like that and it's it is this like they it's got the the noir handbook and gone boom on the table like oh yes pick pick what you want from it but like i i love that kind of stuff and i think like th- this film uh, to me had like an element of something like is it hotel artemis like that kind of like uh just mm-hmm. on a very small budget this kind of like hotel for for ways and strays and like assassins and stuff like that and it's like i don't know like it it kind of wanted me to be like why can't like why like please get cage in like um the john wick series like working in what in, I mean, in one of the con like one of the branches of the continental or something like that do you know what i mean is this i don't i don't know if us as humankinds i don't know if we even deserve to have them too both <laughs> in a john wick movie i don't know if the world could handle it but i would absolutely love that but yeah you definitely get those shades of it with this hotel and you know people vaguely know of each other they know mutual people mm-hmm. you know and have these like different backstory stuff that comes back into play you know later on whenever he's wrapping everything up with this story and then you're like Oh, yeah, I remember at the beginning that the old sniper said that him and Sanchez had history. Oh, had history? <laughs> Burnt little girls to death had history. <laughs> so it's like, you know, the way that that came back around, I was like, oh, my gosh, like that. That's like really interesting. And so it's like all the character stuff was like definitely not for waste or anything. And then, mm-hmm. you know, the the interaction that he has with the lady in red, it's like. You know, again, like you, like I said, like I love that they stayed committed to the noir aesthetic to it. I'm like, I'm like, they're gonna have a witty, bantery conversation, and of course, they're gonna fuck, and they fuck. But <laughs> I love that they didn't even show the sex scene. She she must have negotiated keeping her tits in, and good for her. <laughs> well, yeah, I, but that 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 perfectly comes back into play as well. And there's a great and line. Then it does. Later on, when like when they've like so the the I think her name's Gabrielle. She's kind of like the 
the the town hard bitch like kind of quick like yeah. boss bitch going about town like she's got this guy Oso he's downstairs with Cage and we get this brilliant moment where um like there's a fight upstairs and like the the henchman's like oh like he, he's all cocky he's like bad mouthing off to Cage and then we realize like ah oh, his old tricks aren't that far behind him because all of a sudden like the the henchman like it looks like he almost like glitches out he's like he just keeps repeating the same line and then you realize mm-hmm. that cage has uh has poisoned, poisoned him. Yeah, him yeah yeah but when he goes back upstairs and like like yeah and again we get that brutal like fight scene between the woman in red yeah, yeah yeah and it's like fuck with nick cage nick cage casually watching <laughs> a cat fight going on on the bed is my aesthetic like he is watching a woman stab another woman just oh so casually i love it <laughs> like i feel like he was supposed to be out of that shot but he was already in and they're just like ah fuck it just keep the scene going it's okay <laughs> but it like gives him chance to like have that great line where he's like well, i thought you were gonna go for the gun She's like, well, yeah, I, I was, but the, I got to the knife quicker. And it's like, but I got to the knife quicker. Oh, so good. And it's that thing as well in this that, like, as much as like Cage's character, we're led to believe is like maybe a little bit past it and like wants to settle down. He still does remember his old tricks because he turns around to her and like says like, like you've got money. Like I know, I know you've got money because you've got it on your left tit. Like because you wouldn't let me touch it when we were fucking. Yeah, the one who wouldn't let me touch. <laughs> like the way he said it. Like again, it's like in the line deliveries. He's like the one you wouldn't let me touch. Like like as if he was like offended that <laughs> while they were having sex, he could not touch that tit, and that like hurt him slightly. But that also ticked him off. That like oh she's hiding something there. <laughs> well, the thing I'm thinking about now is like the sex scene was actually like the reason they wouldn't have filmed it is because a lot of it was like, or, or at least showed us, it's the fact that it was like him trying to grab her left tit and her just like slapping his hand away every time. He's like getting yeah. closer. Like, nope. Uh, 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 but he didn't. And you just think it's like, <laughs> and you just think it's like, oh, they're just like having playful, you know, like kind of, you know, sparring around or whatever. You think it's just that, but then it's like, oh, like that's a really fun detail to bring back into the fold. Like every, all the details like mattered in this. Like I love movies like that where it's like, you know, even if it's cheesy, like when certain things come back into play, I still admire it for like committing to like trying to be clever and like trying to, you know, you know, give you just like things to be like, Oh, aha. Okay, cool. Well, he he says to her as well, which I've, I've written down as like one of the note, uh, the lines I loved is like, I'd love to go looking for it, but I don't think we have time right now. Yeah, so casual <laughs> again, just like you know, he's he's cheeky, but like also it's just like you know, like yeah, Nick Cage is probably twenty five years older than this gal, but would I buy that she'd fuck him? Yeah, because he's that charming. Well, yeah, like we we like back to your like uh f- like Ghost Rider. He was 10 years older than Eva Mendes, and we were supposed to believe that they were the same age when they, like, grew up, all those, like, from those kids to to to, to the present-day versions. Um, we then, like, get... Well, the film loops back around to the start, right? And you kind of get that moment where, like, you're either, like... Mm-hmm. I don't know. It either goes two ways for you. It's either an eye roll where you go, like, ah, oh, 
that's where that scene's from. <laughs> oh, that yeah, you're like, that's why that henchman is passed out now. Like, because you're like wondering from the beginning of the movie, you're like, you're like, that guy is obviously not drunk. Like, what yeah. happened to him, you know? So it's like you're wondering from the beginning, which, um, shout out to like, again, like how specific all the individual characters were. Like, this, this random henchman, he has his hair up in a ponytail a letterman jacket and braces on but yet he's like insane <laughs> and i was like every, all the characters are just like so very distinct and i uh i love that but yeah like when it wraps back around and you're like okay now we're in it we have some we have some context like okay obviously these are assassins just like the first two characters were and we're gonna get just like all this interplay going and um the again that that storytelling scene is is really is really really good and um that's like you know we he, we almost get cage rage like, we almost get him but then he like he, he like pulls it back in and like something about that is even more powerful like you know he, he almost unleashed it and they just like crunched it back in i was like you know what like there you, you subverted me you got me cage <laughs> well it's got this perfect thing that it manages to use like different elements of cage and like he gets to tell essentially his life story of working for the organization so like we get these like emotional beats within it whether it's like him telling the story of franco's daughter being like forced into like the drug mule life and being caught and like her, her body being like uh dismembered out in a field and stuff like that and as it delivers that line, it's like she was cut into pieces, and he's like very like. Do you know what I mean, like gets these moments where like his, his his eyes, but then like he brings it back down, and he's like, and then like the next moment he's all quippy, and then like like because it's 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 all a mm -hmm. ruse, it's it's all a ruse for him, but it's like. Oh fuck it, the guy the guy can act. Come on. <laughs> I mean he's got I mean uh the lady in red said it herself, she called him an onion earlier <laughs> in the movie and because Nick Cage has layers. I mean he really does. Like like you said, like the way he like bounced it from the sadness to the anger, and then he's like kind of sarcastically quipping as he like sloppily makes himself another drink, like after like all night he's been like carefully pouring everything you know like even that subtle difference uh was really interesting and then like it's revealed that he wasn't telling this story for their sake he was letting the woman in red get into position like because he tells them right he tells them oh i've got x amount of money in the safe i've got all these diamonds and like they they turn mm -hmm. around and say to him like you know that's not enough money to buy us off. Like, you, you used to work for this organization. He's like, well, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the person I've been talking to this whole time. And then, like, shit fucking breaks loose. And then, because I, I, I didn't catch it, but were they implying that the girl in red was also in that trade? Or were all those girls, like, killed in the trade? Because I thought that would have been a fun detail to loop back in if if that wasn't explicitly told. I, I I genuinely thought at one moment as he was telling a story before it was revealed that Franco's daughter was dead, that she was the woman in red. I thought like, mm -hmm. because... It, Maybe it was going to be like a switcheroo thing. Well, because in the, in the story, he, he mentions that like the daughter got involved with these two corrupt policemen called... Um, 
Erickson and Miguel, who are the two cops mm -hmm. from earlier in the film. And then I thought like, oh shit, it's the woman in red. And then it kind of pulls the rug on that it's not her. No, I just, I, I, I don't know. I don't think, I think she's just another one, like, she's like Franco's daughter. And I think that's why Cage, like, feels for her, is that, like, he probably, he mm. probably, like, it's his, it's his way of redemption for what was done to, done to Franco's yeah. daughter. Because she's, as much as it's not explicitly said, she's literally just come from being with Erickson and Miguel. Yeah. It, it, it's still, uh, yeah, I still love the way that everything uh, tied back in. And I also love after he, like, tells the first portion of the story, another just, like, terrific line when the um, the mullet mustache assassin calls him out, like, on um, the story being bullshit. And he goes, why the fuck? would I make up a story like that? Like <laughs> after telling a story about like, yeah, like girls in sex slavery and like getting burned, like, yeah, why would he make up that story? But just the way he says it is just, again, textbook cage. And I love yeah, it. Yeah, it's great little quips, doesn't it? Cause like he says the story's going to be quick. And then like one of them interrupts and he's like, well, you're making this story go on a little longer. If you wanted it to be a quick one, like, yeah, he's mm -hmm. got his like, great delivery and then yeah we get this shootout that like again is i think like totally believable because it's people like you and i guess this probably comes from like ken sanzel's background and knowing this stuff is like you can have people in like shootouts be like a couple of like feet away from each other and miss because like this is just people like shooting at each other from near on point blank range and just like constantly missing and kind of like running about yeah. this hotel in like fr a frenzy. It's like very yeah, it's like very frantic. Um, the the you know police car shootout was similar because it was like so compact, but yet they were still missing because one of them is trying to drive mm -hmm. and the other guy is missing because he has a dead body you know in the back seat. So it's like okay, that's believable in that police car shootout that they'd be missing each other and they're literally in the same vehicle so yeah it makes sense for the hotel i will say if he he had been telling that story for so long i mean i will say lady in red she should have had a gotten a better shot oh, off yes. you know i mean like she had oodles and oodles of time he shouldn't have even had to like tip her off, like saying like I'm talking. Like she knew he was talking to him, so it's like he didn't even have to call her position out. She should have just been ready to pop, pop, pop. But again, then we wouldn't have had the shootout though. And the shootout is fun though. Like you know, like obviously people that know what they're doing, they are come from similar backgrounds, they have similar tricks, you know, but they also don't know each other. Uh, Nick Cage knows the hotel better, so he has the home court advantage. So it's like, it's a it's a very plausible. Um, uh, shootout it's like there's not a lot of action scenes in this movie but they make them count though yeah 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 that's that's what i think that's why i said in the intro it's a lot of people talking about stuff and then like we get these expl yeah. explosions yeah. of 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 action like um but like that like uh, effect shot of when that hand cannon goes off like explodes in that guy's hand i had to rewind it i was like what have i fucking missed something and then like what like watched it like a couple of times i was like fuck that's brutal it was, it's gnarly it was, it's real gnarly i love it yeah so the, like 
what's the best way to explain it right the gun like almost explodes in half and just like embeds in his eye yeah because i think because i remember when when uh nick took it and then he like he examined it when he took it from the goon and then i guess at some point when he like examined it i didn't see what he exactly did because he did like open it up and he like did something so i didn't see what he did but he did like um you know rig it up at some point again like because like that's his his methods of tricks he just like kind of does it in other ways rather than having to always go like hand to hand or anything you know until he has to yeah 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 because yeah, he blows away the 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 black the black assassin like with a shotgun brutal mm-hmm. and then yeah obviously we get this uh little like mustachioed mullet guy like gets the gets the hand cannon explode in his face and then the film like another another good nick quip afterwards too uh whenever he sees the girl in red and he goes he goes in my day a good professional always examines a, a weapon before they use it and then, and then and then the film like again wraps round because as they're like settling up and they're splitting the money he gives her some of the diamonds cage goes into like one of the rooms in the hotel and that's when you realize that it's the the room of the uh the the sniper from the beginning even though i think yeah at what point did you clock on that 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 assassin was in that hotel (laughs) oh i knew he was in the hotel yeah yeah. like i just kind of figured i kind of figured i was like it is a big i was like it's a big place he had his like you know silencers on and nick cage is used to hearing gunshots so like i totally like get like that he was like in the hotel and like everything um and they did kind of lay out the geography uh pretty pretty well throughout the film too so Mm -hmm. Uh, I caught on to that pretty early. Well, I think it's like early on because obviously you see the the car that the, the the sniper was looking upon was the car of those two guys, right? Like so, like that uh-huh. kept like moving around the block, and Cage has this interaction. And- oh, there is a and there is a uh, there is a time too when um, Nick is with the lady in red, and then they hear um gunshots start going off and it's like that's when you know where the timeline actually falls back into place because like you knew at the beginning of the movie that was like happening a little bit earlier you know the the stuff with the sniper and then kind of catching back up to him and there was like more gunshots i think or maybe i'm getting lost in the kill chain i'm not sure no because all the events would have had to have happened oh before yeah before she turned up because before sanchez yeah yeah yeah, yeah she could she, yeah okay, i thought yeah, that, that does make sense. i thought that she could have never have been there when yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah i thought there's gonna be like a double switcheroo where it's like oh no that like yeah no that 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 couldn't have <laughs> yeah 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 I th- but then it, it could have set yeah i thought it could have set it up so like it was like a fake out in that like we thought that that scene that we see right at the beginning was like it, it could have got to that and then went somewhere else where like i don't mm-hmm. i don't know like yeah but um yeah that's kind of where my brain was at um but then you've realized from confronting the old sniper that it was cage's character that put the put the hit out on the old sniper right like cause he says to him like 
you you had a chance to do something with those girls and never did it. Oh, like I I remember him calling him out with that line, but I didn't I didn't put it together that it was oh. So he started the kill chain and he also ends the kill chain. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so obviously if if it wasn't for him putting out that hit the all this shit never would have been on but then again like if he had never put out that hit the woman in red would have never have come to his hotel and he never would have like escaped those two guys like like com- com- also true coming for him so like yeah it's 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 really like it wraps up quite neat and like i've i've, I've read some reviews of this movie online and it's uh probably not as favorable as uh as as we've been to it i'm honestly confused like i mean okay yeah you might not love the cheesy dialogue but it's like again that's them like committing to the noir but i'm like on a filmmaking on a on a easy on just on a filmmaking you know scale like it's a competently shot film i don't love all the handheld but for the most part it's shot pretty well there is some good scenes some interesting lighting the sound design is good with like, you know, from all the gunshots, there's even a shot where he shoots a shotgun through a sheet and you can hear the sizzle on the sheet. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, they got that going. The score is literally there the entire movie and it's all really good. It like kind of switches tones to yeah, yeah, yeah. between like the story and action beats. Like, so like on a, even just on a filmmaking aspect, it's hard to be like, okay, it's not a good film in that aspect, but then when you put the story and, you know, like I said, I liked all the performances, like on a varying scale from like to really love, you know, besides for um, Miguel, the cop, he was kind of, he was kind of, eh, he was kind of bringing some bitch game, <laughs> but everyone else, uh, everyone else brought it, you know, for what their characters are. So like, I don't know if, you know, I, I saw, you know, people throw around the world, like indulgent. And I hate that because, like, that's what you're supposed to do as a director. Like, if you like neo-noir movies and you want to make a badass neo-noir movie where you link everything together and try to make it clever because that's, like, something you're passionate about and you want to do it, damn right indulge yourself in it. So, I don't know. I just don't get – I don't get it. I can I can get this not being the movie for you, but I don't get – saying that this is a bad film well i think it's that thing I, I i tend to go in especially if i look at a budget of a movie and go like what have they managed to do on that budget and it's like this tells a fun competent and decent story on like a rel- on a small budget and it's like what more like what more do you want for like a three and a half million dollar movie and it's like yes they probably knew this film's like lifespan was going to be on vod it was going to be on amazon prime do you know what i mean like uh, like for, in the uk it's on amazon prime i think in the us it might be as well i think it's like kind of yep. yeah yeah i watched it yeah i watched on uh, amazon prime as well and it's like it, it does the job of like if you're gonna be scrolling through a streaming service and randomly throw something on and have it entertain you yeah like this movie is gonna do that for you and more in my opinion yeah it's 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 a totally like it's a film that's uh, better than it has any rights to be like in the fact that it is a nick cage straight to vod movie and is just i don't know a a good slice of neo-noir like 
fun that like again like i I hate that thing of like i hate the idea of like guilty pleasures and stuff like that because you either like something or oh, you yeah. don't and like mm-hmm. i know there's a there's like uh frequent listeners and uh previous guests on this that always give me a, a hard time for for kind of I mean, being overly i don't overly complimentary to films that like <laughs> on a grander scale probably aren't like masterpieces but that could be the fact that i'm like over a hundred episodes deep into a nick cage podcast i mean yeah (laughs) but this is like this is still different than like the the true b movie nick cage fair that you have that you do enjoy in a more guilty fashion but i still wouldn't call them guilty pleasures i don't believe in them either but this movie itself, like I said, it's like this wasn't a movie that needed to be like saved by Nick Cage. It's but it's it's fun. Is it a masterpiece? No, but like you don't always need to like go into a movie wanting a masterpiece. Sometimes you want to wa- just go into something and be entertained and have fun. And like I watched this with a friend last night in preparation, and this is a movie I will one hundred percent like show to like other friends. Is like this is a fun movie night watch with your friends, like have a good time movie. But it's also like on a, you know, film on a film level, pretty well made yeah. for, like you said, the budget at least. And Cage has got a brilliant sparring partner in Annabelle Acosta, who plays the woman in red. Like, I think like that, that, mm-hmm. that casting of those two, it's like, you, you might, like people might have problems with the whole, like, uh, they, 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 there's an inevitable sex scene or whatever, or like they, they might get hung up on that, like, well, but Cage is like Cage is this old. But their dude. chemistry, yeah, the chemistry is great. The chemistry works. The chemistry works. I mean, you know, I would be so lucky to have a sex scene with Helen Mirren <laughs> in a film. It, who cares about the age difference? I don't care. But their yeah, their their chemistry was um really well together. Like at first, like when she was introduced with the dirty cop, I was like, okay, don't really love the like okay, we're going to take a little romance, Bonnie and Clyde detour. Luckily, that scene didn't last long (laughs) with them two, and she moved on pretty quickly, luckily. And then once she got to the hotel and she was with Nick Cage, like, yeah, their connection and, like, chemistry together was just, like, really perfect banter back and forth. Like, she matched his levels of, you know, quippiness. Like, it worked really well. Well, there's that fantastic scene, I think, like, kind of almost midway through the film where, she literally transforms into a femme fatale when she's in the back of that truck and is getting like dressed and like comes out in the high heels and the red dress and it's like yeah i totally forgot about that scene and that's also a really good scene like she's like talking this guy through the mugging you know and like making you know it's like hey this is as good of a a carjacking as i'm gonna get if this is how i have to get carjacked and lose my job you know at least i got you know to hear some sweet whispers nothing in my ear and she paid me and it was all yeah, good he, he, like yeah it was a really interesting little scene because it's like he almost you can almost tell that like in this area stuff like that happening mm-hmm. isn't uncommon because he's not like terrified or like you know like surprised it's kind of like 
ah, shit. Well, it's just one of those nights, you know. Hey, he's got a woman like dressing in the back of his car. He definitely got a few glimpses in that rearview mirror. It was just a couple of couple of glances at what was going on in the back, I reckon. So he was probably like, I got uh, I got some money, I got a little bit of side boob action, I'm 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 all happy. <laughs> again, there's worse again there's worse <laughs> yeah. ways to get mugged. <laughs> Way worse. Perfect. So Let's move on to the questions I always ask on these uh, at the end. A weird scoring system. Does Nick Cage have bad hair in this movie? I say no. He is tightly well-groomed in this movie. Mm-hmm. His beard is perfectly well-kept. The hair looks good. It's nice and full, and uh, but it's not in a funky shape. Like I say his hair is pretty good in this. It's, it's, it's a solid haircut, and like, the beard's looking perfect. I think, like... That that's mm-hmm. his kind of look now. There's a fantastic cover uh, shot he did for Interview Magazine, and there's like these kind of like this photo shoot he did for Interview Magazine, and and with the the trailer drop in for the for the new Netflix show he's doing, he's looking great. He looks fantastic <laughs> in that Netflix trailer. I was like, oh damn! Like when he said naughtiness, I was like, oh, don't you dare, Nick Cage. <laughs> he's looking good. Yeah amazing and then on to the 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 second question is does nick cage do a crazy voice obviously we talked about vampires kiss earlier i think possibly his most famous crazy voice but does he do anything like that in this uh yeah so that is one thing that i do love about nick cage like uh i remember like in an interview how he like mentioned like you know that's one of his favorite parts about crafting his character is coming up with the voice and accent he's gonna do for him because he tries to make every single one of them different (laughs) he attempts to um but does he do a crazy one here no it's pretty pretty straightforward like he doesn't put like he has a slight twang on his voice but like he's not like he he keeps it at like a consistent level for most of the film too. Like, not doing anything too crazy vocally, really. But and he has these like brilliant uh, things that, as we said, like there's enough little like cageisms in the way he delivers yeah. certain lines. That it's like uh, we get a few flares here and there. Yeah, he, yeah, like in the in the delivery. But as far as like the actual voice goes, like he's pretty. Yeah. It's, it's like that scene from Hook when the little kid's like pulling back Robin Williams' face, like when he delivers those lines, like, ah, oh, there you are, Nick. Like, there you are. There's the there's the Nick <laughs> I remember. Um Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um what most well, yeah, what what a lot of like I, I'm gonna call them idiots go to Nicolas Cage movies for a lot of the time is freakouts. The 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 true the true fans know that he has got range and scope and can do so much more but does he freak out in this movie you know so we we kind of danced around (laughs) a little bit but i wouldn't you know does because you know i am a true cage head i believe and is this a full rage cage moment you know that storytelling scene i will say no because like we we kind of we described the scene like i mean he's getting there he has tears in his eyes he's like red and shaking and you can see it and then he just brings it he brings it back in he shoves it down deep and i was like wow like that's a it was like it was a reverse cage freak out kind of i don't know but (laughs) did he freak out almost but uh, oh, in my notes, I wrote "controlled cage rage" is what I called it. Yeah, well, yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's um, future stomach ulcer cage rage, where you're like 
burying it deep down. And it's it's the thing. I think like that's better than getting a, a, a full freak out because it's it shows some restraint both from yeah. Cage and both from the director as well. Because it's like I don't think this film warranted any like balls to the wall freaking out really. Like that that isn't yeah. who that character is, I don't think. Yeah, I, I like that you mentioned that it's restraint on both their ends because, yeah, like, again, like, it's a moment that Cage could have went bigger, but he really got to do something a little bit different, subvert us a little bit, and, you know, really flex his acting chops a little bit. But then restraint on the director because, like you said, like, earlier in the show, there's some, you know, directors that, you know, were kind of just in awe of Cage and they're like, well, I have them, so I just got to let them let loose, you know, so other directors might have just been like, yeah, Nick, go crazy. But obviously, you know, um, the director here, Sanzel, was like, you know what? No, we're going we're gonna to keep it in. We're going to keep it tight. And, you know, and I think that's going to be more effective. So, yeah, um, good call on both their ends. Perfect. So thanks so much, uh, Devon, for coming and raging with Cage with me. Where can people keep up to date with everything you're doing, whether it's writing or or with your podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, letting me on. This was absolutely <laughs> so much fun. Um, you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at underscore daddy disco. And um, Instagram is where I have most of my photography and like more videos and short filming kind of stuff. Um, and then Twitter is, you know, more movie type deals. That's where I post uh, the stuff that I write for Nightmare on Film Street. I have a, a monthly column on there called Stoner's Corner because I am a big time pothead <laughs> and I try to find trippy movies and I uh, provide weed recommendations in those articles as well. So I do that. And then um, I'm also the uh, content manager for Beta Wave TV. It's a uh, media production company, and we do like live stream music concerts and music videos and stuff. So you can find us there at betawave.tv. And then, of course, I host the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club, uh, a podcast where I have all different guests on, and we talk subgenres. Sometimes it's one movie, sometimes it's three. You never know. <laughs> um, you can find me at Bloody Blunt CC on Twitter for that. Perfect. Again. Thank you so much for coming and talking about Kill Chain with me. Yeah, thanks once again. I had a blast. Thank you once again to Devon Taylor for joining me to talk about this uh, fantastic film. If you enjoyed this film or you kind of want a little bit more knowledge on the process that Cage goes to, to to make a film, be sure to listen this Friday. Yes, this coming Friday to a bonus episode where I sat down and talked to the writer-director of this film, Ken Sanzel. I recorded it this Monday, so the 11th of January. It's a fantastic conversation. As I said, we kind of get into like Cage's process, the influences on this film, like what was the watch list, the kind of the moral ambiguity in characters that makes them so much more three-dimensional than this kind of black and white good and bad guys and how kind of Ken went from being a cop to going into the movie business and it's like it's a great story so do be sure 
to tune in to that one. As always, if you feel differently about this show, if you didn't enjoy it as much as I do, I know there's people out there who are like, Petros, you've lost your goddamn fucking mind. And yes, Liam Dempsey, I am talking to you specifically. But there, there's other people who are like, I don't like these films. I don't understand what you're seeing them. I'm not a corporate shill. I genuinely only contacted Ken as well after I'd seen this film and enjoyed it. I wouldn't have like agreed to do an interview and kind of praised his film. Uh, yeah. If that's what you're thinking, that's definitely not the case, guys. Although, if the money is right, I will definitely, I will definitely talk good about a film if you pay me loads of money. Come on. Uh, but yeah, if you feel differently about this, please do not hesitate to get in touch, which is Caged in Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And support the podcast. You can do that really simply by heading on over to Apple Podcasts, Acast, wherever, rating, reviewing the show. All of those kind of five-star ratings and those glowing reviews really do help the numbers to get more people ears on the podcast, basically. It gets out there, moves up the charts and stuff like that. People kind of might see the art and go, oh, I'll give, I'll give that a go, see what that is. Or you can, as I said in the intro, you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash caged in pod you can head on over to coffee which is co-fi.com forward slash caged in pod and just do like a one-off donation to the podcast if that's what you want to do literally three pounds i'm in the process at the moment of buying all of the uh coppola family films and i can get myself the beguiled on blu-ray for two pounds so if you just want to do a one-off payment and get, like, essentially buy the Beguiled for me, that will be fantastic. And uh, otherwise, you can support, obviously, there's limitedrun.com. So it's cagedinpodcast.limitedrun.com where you can pick up the Tim Hornsby Caged In Superman print. And coming up very soon, I'm super excited about this. I've, I've never been, this is like genuinely a bucket list moment for me uh we're releasing the first ever caged in t-shirt so if you're not following on the socials do be sure to check out the design uh, I'll, I'll, I'll pop a link in the show notes as well where you can kind of see the design in its full glory but yes yeah, this kind of wicker man Nicholas Cage hybrid, kind of the old Wicker Man, the new Wicker Man, and it's it, it's fucking great. And that's designed by a guy called Tim Sinclair. So the the, the illustrators are the only illustrators I fuck with are Tims. I'm a t- Tim fucker. That's that's, 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 that's that's all I deal with when it comes to illustrations. But yeah, do keep an eye out and an ear out for when that is dropping because as soon as it does, I'll be shouting about all over the place i think it's gonna be up for pre-order so obviously they're all hand printed by a friend of mine um, uh, harry over at hand prints you can find those guys on instagram so they're all going to be like screen printed by hand by harry and we're kind of like it's going to all be dependent on how many are pre-ordered so that would be amazing i'm trying to keep them as low cost as i can obviously i'm factoring in harry's time the 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 cost of printing the cost of the t-shirts but they like they will be a genuinely reasonable price and all money will go back into the podcast and potentially back into getting more cool merch and other stuff 
for you guys. So one last piece of admin before I let you go is next week's full episode and that is with the fantastic musician, podcaster and just all round nice bloke Mike West where we talk about the 2019 kind of action drama it is essentially snakes on a plane on a boat with a tiger and Nicolas Cage film Primal so do tune in to listen to that one because it's heaps and tons and all the fun buttered on toast as always guys I've been Petros Patsilovas I've been caged in you've been amazing bye bye This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, A Droop Town Limery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.